Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome into another episode of the Empire State of Sports. Today is the anniversary of the first perfect game ever pitched in Major League Baseball by Cy Young in 1904. And Beacon and I, we're, we're going to bring you today the perfect podcast in, in, in memory of that. Yeah, we're looking for a 10 out of 10, 100%. Uh, miss every shot you don't take, but I'm going to miss every shot I do take on this podcast today. I'll tell you that, Jackson. Per usual, I'm Jackson Agello. He's Bigo Scott. Let's jump right into it today with our New York Minute. First up, baseball's back on TV. We'll tell you how. Isaiah Thomas says Jordan is the fourth best player he played against. Woke. And Jordan, himself the GOAT, creates the line of all lines for gamblers to use. And how about uh, just one more reminder that Aroldis Chapman is an absolutely enormous human being. All that more coming at you in this edition of the Empire State of Sports. Let's get it rolling. First big news that we have of sports returning on the Empire State of Sports in its young history. Baseball is back, sort of. We have the Korean Baseball Organization will be on ESPN six days a week starting in the wee hours of this morning, it had already happened. Right. At 1 a.m. this morning, Korean baseball started it up on ESPN. It'll be on six days a week, live coverage, which honestly is kind of sick. I, my only problem with it is that it's called the Korean Baseball the Korean Baseball League. I think KBL sounds better than KBO. It sounds more like a sports organization. But I'm not going to complain too much. It's some sports. It's something to talk about. I'll probably tune in at some point. I'm pretty hyped for this, honestly. Um, I think I've been calling it ABL recently. So I, I got to show them some respect over there in Korea. It's the KBO. I, I got to nail that down. I am all in on this. Um, yeah, the game is in the future for you and I, Jackson, right now, recording on Monday afternoon. But it is in the past for you, the listener. Um, us here, you there, a little bending of time and space, a little Mike Vrabel um, time manipulation there. Uh, I'm all in on it. I'm going to say the Doosan Bears are my team. Uh, just I'm going to pick the front runner. They're, they won They won it all last year as a Yankees fan. I feel like I should just go over and, and try and take the best team. They did lose their MVP. Josh Lindblom is actually going to play on the Brewers. He signed a three-year deal after taking the MVP. But they've got the 2018 MVP as well. Uh, they also play in the capital in, in uh, I think it's, what's it, Seoul? 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 I think it's Seoul. Seoul. I think it's Seoul. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's Seoul. Um, I don't know, Korea, uh, in general, just a country I would really love to go to. They're, it is sad that they're not going to have fans for obvious reasons because the fans over there are maybe next to none, uh, like in Korea and Japan. But I'm very happy to have baseball. Uh, it's an awesome league. They've got just like basic rules stuff they've got a universal dh so they're ahead of the uh of major league baseball in that respect and uh, a really cool thing is every player has their own walk-up song so like you know how like in in major league baseball obviously players have walk-up songs but they're just using songs they have customized songs about each player to walk up to the plate i mean that is that's tough notch. i'm trying to walk up to the plate with you know the the pitchers here and Biko's gonna hit ya. Hit a bomb, you know. That's there's no way that I, that I'm not gonna make some solid contact after that. Imagine 
in a major league baseball players coming up to customized walk-up songs like the craziness that would ensue with that is just absurd you know people would have like specific ones about pitchers where they would just rip into the pitcher right before coming up to go try and just absolutely mash them that would be hysterical i think this is something that we should be bringing over to the united states i think there's a lot that uh Major League Baseball can learn from the KBO, and I think the customized walk-up song is maybe the number one thing I would like to adapt. Uh, maybe not for everybody. I mean, I can't see Brett Gardner wanting a customized walk-up song, but especially for, for the younger guys with some more flair, like I need a Fernando Tatis and a Juan Soto and a Ronald, Ronald Acuna walk-up song, you know? Also, as a side note about this league, you just mentioned your, your team you're going to be going for is the Doosan Bears. Well, one thing that's surprising – they're not surprising, I guess. But one thing that's interesting is there are three teams in the capital of Seoul. I mean, granted, Korea is just a smaller country geographically than a country like the United States where people get on, you know, maybe New York or L.A. for having too many teams. But three in one city, that's, that's a haul. Yeah, and it's only a 10-team league as well. So that's 30% of the league. Um, it's pretty cool. I'm I'm all in on the KBO. Also, they have vicious bat flips. I've seen maybe probably the best bat flips, the five greatest bat flips I've ever seen. Joey Bats, uh, the walk off. No, it wasn't a walk off. It was just a monster home run uh, in the ALDS a few years ago. It's like that, yeah. and then four KBO bat flips. They're vicious. Yeah, I would put that. I put that one up there. I put Manny Ramirez had a couple big pimp jobs. It, it wasn't necessarily in the flip. He definitely disregarded the bat, but it was more in the subsequent jersey pop and the admiration of what he just did that he, he, he would be up there with that. As far as the swagger level, he wouldn't necessarily do it in the most exaggerated fashion, but his swagger level on it was off the charts. Oh, definitely. I think and when you, you want to talk about swagger with the bat flip, it was much more of a bat drop, but the Ken Griffey Jr. bat drop, True. There, is, there is nothing swaggier that I could see in the world, not even just in baseball, then Ken Griffey Jr. just hits a monster tater and he just, start, he just starts strutting and that bat hits the ground. It's like an extension of his swing. It's beautiful. I honestly would just say his is just sexy. It, like his, his is purely oh. sexy to watch. Oh, yeah. I, I get some serious pleasure out of watching a Ken Griffey Jr. home run. I'll tell you that much. You're not human if you don't, I don't think. I mean, it's, it's one of the purest things you can watch in the world, not even just sports, just in the world, period. You know what I, uh, what I don't get pleasure out of, though? What? Is the, the MJ-LeBron debate at this point in my career. So I'm happy that Isaiah Thomas came in here and said there's no reason to have the debate. Yeah, Isaiah coming in saying Michael Jordan is just the fourth best player he played against, to me, is the biggest joke I've heard of. And that is no, – I mean, what Isaiah said – to give the context here, is that Jordan is the fourth best player that he played against during his career behind Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Not necessarily in that particular order, but just those were the three names that he put above Jordan. And one behind Jordan was Dr. J. Granted, all great basketball players. Legends, yeah. Legends of the game, icons, people, players who – Many men, be that as it may, no, <laughs> that is just the stupidest thing I've heard in the last week. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Michael Jordan is better than Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. 
just plain and simple. Not that close. Yeah, this isn't a debate. It's like it's always funny when you get someone coming in and um and you have like a oh I'm not a LeBron or MJ guy, like I'm a Kobe guy, you know? And it's like it's like IT's a retro Kobe guy with with this take. Um I mean obviously Kareem was unstoppable and we'll actually talk about Kareem a little bit later on in the podcast. Uh little teaser there for you. But um yeah, and I love, I love Larry Bird. There's something about Larry Bird that I just, I, I love watching Larry highlights. I'm a big Bird guy. Um, and obviously, all three of them were tremendous winners, just like MJ. They all have plenty of rings in their pockets uh, or on their hands, wherever they keep them. Got to be one of the two places. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a donkey brain take. It's it's just pity. It's it's pity. Not it's pity. salt. It's, pity. it's, it's salt. Pity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's it's so... He's so salty still. Yeah. Still to this day that he was left off the Dream Team roster. It, you can tell even in – so in the last dance, for those of you who didn't see the episode, this doesn't spoil anything major. I'm sure if you've logged onto Twitter, you've seen the, the clip that's kind of gone viral of Isaiah Thomas saying, I met the criteria clip of him from the interview has gone viral a little bit. And he just – Still to this day, you can see it in his eyes. He is triggered whenever he talks about that topic. Anything else he was interviewed about during the special, during the Last Dance episode, you could tell the way he was answering, like, you know, very normal, kind of, you know, just giving his reminiscing takes. But when it comes to the Dream Team and him not being selected for said team because Michael Jordan hated him, and Michael Jordan said as much in this Last Dance episode, he is. Uh, a loose direct quote from him on that front was that he said that he respected Isaiah Thomas and his game and thought he was a really great player, even though he hated him. He's like, yeah, yeah, I hated him. And because of that hatred in part, you know, a lot of guys on the team also admitted that they didn't really want him there, but it kind of gets put on Jordan a lot that he didn't want Isaiah there. And Isaiah, I don't think we'll ever forget that. He is so salty about that even as far enough to not acknowledge the fact that Jordan is just, is the goat above those guys. Like it, it was close for a bit. Like, you know, after that first three Pete, you could totally be like, Oh, Jordan and magic, you know, they're, they're right there or Jordan and, and bird or, you know, they're, they're close or so, something to that effect. But no, no, you can't, you can't make that argument that all of a sudden these guys are, are that much better or are this juggernaut and mike has the legendary in six years of playing from 91 to through 98 he was six for six and or i guess technically six for seven because he did come back and get knocked out of the playoffs by the magic um but he wasn't playing that full year so i kind of don't count it yeah it's it's a it's an absolutely wild take. And I mean, I think part of that hatred also goes back to, I didn't get to watch the two episodes last night because I was working cl- so close to midnight, but I'm going to catch up on them today. In the earlier episodes of The Last Dance, when the Bulls finally dethroned the Pistons after they had won back-to-back championships uh, in 91, and the Pistons just walk off the court and don't shake their hands. After the Bulls had shake, sh- shake the Pistons' hands two years in a row, losing to them in the Eastern Conference Finals, I mean, literally, 
there's much more that goes into it with the Jordan rules and the Pistons just like absolutely destroying Mike anytime he got into the lane and, and how those games were played, how they were there were wars on the court. Um, there's definitely a lot that goes into why the players on the Bulls and the Pistons still seem like they hate each other, especially Michael Jordan and Isaiah Thomas, Paramount, over uh, everyone else as the superstars on those teams. Um, but it's just it's so it's so petty to to say that Jordan wasn't as good as Magic, Larry, or Kareem. I mean, that's a that's a hilarious take. And don't get me wrong, Kareem also has six rings, right? He still has he has six titles. Yeah. But here's the difference, right? Kareem has six rings, and I am not by any means in what I'm about to say trying to take anything away from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who is one of the ten greatest players of all time, and probably in the t- definitely in the top five, I would say, five, definitely uh, of all time players. Yeah. But the difference is Michael Jordan, in his six titles, was the six time NBA Finals MVP. Yeah. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was just two times of that, and again, that's not a knock, but it's it's the fact that it wasn't Kareem's job to go out necessarily in all of his title victories and be the guy to win it. You know, he won in 87 and 88 and retired in 89. Those were kind of the tail ends of his career. He was still a very good player, especially when you factor in his age. What he was doing is something that we haven't really seen outside of what LeBron is now doing at at that age. But he wasn't the first, second option really on that team. You know, Michael went out and was the guy for all of those title victories. And it's just, in just watching him and watching this now, especially watching The Last Dance, as someone who didn't really grow up watching him prime MJ because I was one and or two when he was really at the tail end of his goatness. I don't know why you weren't watching, but yeah, okay. Well, at least I wasn't remembering. Right. <laughs> I wasn't remembering. We'll, we'll leave it at that. But is it? crazy to see just that the look that Michael Jordan would get in his eye when it was like winning time. It's awesome. He, he's just different. I'm so happy about this documentary in general because it does give us as I'm the same, I was born in 96. So I really didn't experience Jordan at all. Um, it gives us a great look into what it was like those, you know, the nineties and how much he dominated basketball and the world in general. I mean, Michael Jordan, like the shots of him going to Paris and stuff was so awesome. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Uh, the Bulls were like superheroes there. But, and, and I will say this, this is like, this isn't Isaiah Thomas's point. He's saying these are, there's three players better than Michael Jordan that he played against physically in, in the NBA. I'd say Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is maybe the greatest winner in like all of American sports, just winning, I don't know, he won like three high school state titles I'm pretty sure in New York and then wins three NCAA titles and then wins six NBA championship titles like I'll give him that Bill Russell's up there too though with the 11 yeah with 11 (laughs) NBA championships that's the I I was literally thinking the exact same thing um and and then you know you've got like Yogi Berra with World Series but there's you know uh, He's he's on a short list yeah Isaiah Thomas wasn't talking about Yogi Berra it's Long story short, crazy take. It's all it's all petty. Um, Long story short, yeah. If, I love bringing if, if your if your steak needs some seasoning, dial up Isaiah Thomas. He he has all the salt you could ever need in your in your entire life. He will supply it because Michael Jordan is one of the greatest competitors of all time, and 
we've gotten some more insight on that in the last dance. And one of those comes from his, his line that he uttered while talking about what people have rumored to be a gambling problem with him in, in the past. It's been something that's been talked about many times. The way Michael Jordan brought it up in this latest episode of The Last Dance is he said, I don't have a gambling problem. I just have a competition problem. And many people who are degenerate gamblers will definitely use this line now for years and years to come to talk to their wives, their significant others, their husbands, whatever. So I don't have a gambling problem. I'm just a competitor. I'm, a, I'm addicted to competition. Now, there is a, there's a clear-cut difference probably between those people and Michael Jordan in that Michael Jordan is a billionaire with a B and the mass majority of people who are probably doing that are not. So there's a bit of a line, but still elite line for people to use now. He just extended a lifeline out there for gamblers who th- think they have a problem. Just be like, oh, no, no, man, what? Gambling problem? No, no, I just, I just love to compete. I'm a competitor. Yeah, and besides Jordan having uh, over a billion dollars, so he has a little extra cheddar to spread around here and there, uh, as, as you said earlier when we were talking about this, he can bet $10,000 on a hole of golf, and it's like me and you were out on the Rip Van Winkle in Sarvides, New York, and, and I placed down a, a $2 bill saying I would make a putt. You know, there's, it's just, there's different levels to this. Besides that, I think Jordan can say this, you know, as I mentioned Kobe earlier, like Jordan and Kobe can say this more than anyone else because they were that much of an elite competitor just besides that. I mean, I'm not going out there and practicing basketball for 10 hours a day every summer so that I can finally take down the Detroit Pistons who just pummel me every year. Um, so, you know, I guess he's got that, a little, a little extra gravitas in his bank too. Um, yeah, besides, I'd say the, the bank account and the proven track record of never wanting to lose in any competition ever, it's like, you know what, MJ? Eh, you can go to Atlantic City after game one of the 93 Eastern Conference Finals. That's not a problem. You're just a competitor. You just got to compete. He also can do that because he wound up winning the series. Like, if he had lost that series, that would go down as one of those types of things where, like with Vince Carter, where he went to his graduation right before yeah. playing against Allen Iverson and the Sixers, and then they go out and lose the game. It's going The Giants wide receivers going out on the boat before losing. Yeah, the Miami trip. Yeah, exactly. The, those fabled journeys, they go one way or the other. You're either famed in lore of like, wow, look what he just did, and then he still went out and won, or it goes down as a big mistake. Michael Jordan, lucky enough or skilled enough for him, was able to overcome that. One thing I'd like to trickle back on is, is you did mention, though, that it'd be like us putting down a $2 bill. I mean, like, those can be worth some money. You know, those are kind of rare. That's true. I, I should – two $1 bills is more accurate than, than a $2 bill. You're right. I'm kind of a fan of the $2 bill. I, I wouldn't hate it coming back. I would love the $2 bill coming back. I've been reading a, a book recently where a guy, just to stand out at a conference, he – rain down two dollar bills on on everybody who showed up beforehand just because he was like you want to talk about unique take a look at me so you know what i think the two dollar bill is is the the wave of the future if you're trying to stand out you want to make a meaningful bet on the golf course who's i don't know what president is on the two dollar bill he slapped down a blank 
you slap down a, a Tui. <laughs> James K. Polk. <laughs> <laughs> Just to sign it a president. We'll get we'll get Mark. Mark Marky Mark will hit us up with that. Oh, info. I almost said it too. It's a Thomas Jefferson. Oh, no way. Tommy Jeff. I was about to say that. I was like, oh, he's got to be on something else. Tommy Jeff would be in my starting five of NBA basketball player presidents. Like if I were building a, a roster of uh, basketball players out of presidents, I think, I think Tommy Jeff would make the starting five for me. I mean, I feel like George oh, well, Obama's obviously in it. He loved playing basketball. Um, yeah, he, he had a sweet jump shot. Yeah, he was pretty silky. Like, GW he's the only, basketball guy. He, Obama's legitimately the only one I've seen like shoot a basketball, and he actually won – Right. He also was like a varsity basketball player in high school, so like he, he has the credentials legitimately to play. I don't know. Maybe maybe like Reagan before no before his president days because he was old as heck when he was a president. I feel like in his acting days, maybe he maybe he was involved in a basketball movie or something. JFK is a good looking dude. He he looks like he's athletic. Yeah, kind of like a Zach Efron High School Musical type uh, thing we oh, can get out of JFK. Also, inject Abe Lincoln into my veins. At a power <laughs> I was thinking forward. Abe. Yeah, what was he like six foot? He was pretty yeah. tall. I had the top hat too. And yeah. Loki, don't don't get me wrong on this about the height. I'm pretty sure he was only like six feet tall, but he was an absolute load. Give me Howard William Howard Taft, our largest gentleman as president, 350 pounds. Give him me as center and let him be my Glenn Duke baby Davis. Yeah, I've got, yeah, six feet tall. Wow. The, the weight is. What a load. Imagine trying to move that bad boy around. I mean, <laughs> come on. Let him play under the rules of the 90s and he will body a boy. Yeah, he could take out the mound round of rebound in one fell swoop. Yeah, I mean, Chuck wouldn't stand a chance against that load. <laughs> okay, so a uh, little sidebar, but our our starting five is Obama, GW, uh, you got Taft, Abe. Who's who's our fifth man? Did you want TJ in there? Yeah, I want TJ in there. I think I'm thinking TJ at small forward. I'm thinking I'm putting GW at pre- at point guard just because the, the leadership intangibles. I think Obama's more of a scorer. You know, I think he's going to get, especially because he's the only guy I've seen shoot. So I'm going to put him in shooting guard. Abe Lincoln's no doubt a gritty, grimy fan favorite at power forward. Definitely. And then Taft's our big baby down low, who's just going to be absolute. Abe's actually going to be our tallest guy in the lineup, I think, at 6'4". Um, so you, it's a, I it's mean, a you smaller can, team. You can stick that at small forward easy, especially because I don't think – I mean, he he was a guy who like chopping down trees or something, right? But, uh What's the Tommy Jeff's height? What are we what are we working with on that? Jefferson? Yeah. We've got six two. These boys are pretty tall. <laughs> I mean, like not for the NBA, but for just like if we're Gen- facing general living. Right. Or if we're facing five other politicians. Yeah, I think low key, I think our uh, center is our shortest guy on the team. Taft? <laughs> yeah. Because George Washington's six two. Obama's six one. And Thomas Jefferson six two. Wow, I can't believe our lineup. Is, and you know what? Taft is actually kind of like the mound, the mound round of rebound, round mound of rebound. In that he's a he's a little guy, but he's just gonna he's just gonna be throwing around that booty. He, yeah, he's, he's undersized, but I think he can work it back there. You know, I think he knows how to use it too. Definitely, I I feel like we've got a pretty good squad here. This was very much off the cuff and not planned at all, but I like what. I like what we have assembled. We can uh, 
we can turn to this to the future and, and go through our presidents and see if there's anyone we missed. But I like our starting five a lot. Hey, we could build, it, build the presidential for a lot of sports coming up. And a lot of people are giving their, two, you know, we started off with a $2 bill talking about uh, Michael Jordan gambling. And a lot of people are giving their two cents in right now. And one of them is Charles Oakley. And a lot of people are circling back to 90s basketball right now just because of the last dance is going on. Oakley said he blames Patrick Ewing for the Knicks never beating the Bulls, specifically referencing that 93 Eastern Conference Finals with, if you need me to jog your memory, Knicks up 2 nothing in the series, go on to lose four straight after Jordan clears his head in Atlantic City. I mean, Oakley is very an outspoken guy in general. Um, I'm kind of surprised he went after his own guy. I mean, like, obviously Isaiah Thomas and Michael Jordan, they have this feud forever. You, you yeah, can, they hate each other. That makes sense. Yeah, like, but Oakley with the friendly fire on, on his man Patrick Ewing. And, and Patrick Ewing, I'm pretty sure he averaged 26 and 11 in the series um, and, and had like 32 and 9 in that game five. But Oakley said that Ewing was weak. He said that he kept getting doubled. Uh, Phil Jackson had the Bulls doubling him. And they knew that he would never pass out of it. He just kept taking jumpers. And Oakley thinks that really hurt the team. So instead of blaming uh, Charles Smith, who had four chances at the bunny at the end um, and, and couldn't put her home, he's going after the star in Patrick Ewing. There's no shame. Charles Barkley mentioned it last night on SportsCenter. He mentioned it in, a, in the documentary. And he's mentioned it in other walks of life as well. That you know, There's really no shame in losing to Michael Jordan because he just had that next level. And the way Charles Barkley phrased it is after losing in 93 in the finals with his son's team who had the best record in the NBA that year to Michael Jordan, he said that was the first time he ever realized that even at his best, because Charles Barkley felt like in one of the games he played his absolute best, was on his game. But Michael Jordan was on his game too and at his best. And no matter what Barkley did, when Jordan was at that level, there was nothing he could do to get to that level, to match that. And that, that's what the greatness was. He just had that one gear above everyone else where he could just take over. Yeah, it's, it's been pretty awesome to see. And he just became unstoppable. And it, you, can't, you can't look at the numbers and see how he played. I mean, the shots he, were hit, he was hitting – was unreal especially when he got in the air attacking the rack he had so many different weapons and like he could have he could go so many different ways um and then some of his like he just had ridiculous step back jumpers and, and turn around like 180 uh second adjustments in midair when it looks like someone's gonna block him um i mean the the shot to take out cleveland uh earlier in the last dance is a great example of that where he could have been blocked but instead he hesitates and then puts it in i've got a much greater appreciation if that's even possible for the greatest I'm going to say the greatest basketball player uh of all time in Michael Jordan in watching this and you know Oakley I I think you're off on this one I love you Charles as a a great New York Nick legend um and it's got to be tough too for Charles in that he was a part of those Bulls teams while Mike and Scotty were getting better come up exactly and were young and were really good, but they were just a step away. And then they trade Oakley to the Knicks and they win six NBA championships. It's definitely like there could be a little causation, but mostly correlation, but that, that definitely has to hurt. And 
Oakley was the first kind of enforcer helper for Michael against the bad boy. He was kind of his protector because Jordan would get, you know, especially with those rules back then in the NBA, would get the crap beat out of him in those games. Going up, especially with the way he played, attacking the rim in the air so much, he would get thrown around like a rag doll. Especially before he started, you know, putting on some muscle, which is when he became an unstoppable force and an immovable object all in one. Right. During that time frame. Before that, yeah, that's what Oakley was. So it's it's just interesting to see him come back in that way. Yeah. Um definitely a tough place to be for Charles. I get that there's nothing to talk about right now, sports wise, except for the last dance. So like all these emotions are rehashed and everything. Um he also Charles Oakley with some caught some uh, some friendly fire headed towards Pat Riley as well as he said Phil Jackson about Pat Riley and there was just no adjustment. Um, the Bulls were trapping the Knicks and the Knicks were doing nothing of the sort to make the Bulls think about having to change their game plan at all. So I mean Oakley just really feeling the salt right now watching uh, a documentary about Michael Jordan's six NBA championships when he was traded away from the team right before that happened. Yeah, I think that one isn't as bad of a shot necessarily because mainly it's just a fact. Like Phil Jackson did outcoach him. Yeah. Like that, that's, that did happen. I think the manner in which he did it is a little unnecessary. Like uh-huh. he could have just left it at he outcoached him. To go as far as to say there were no adjustments, I mean, child please, they tried to make some adjustments for sure. I mean, come on. Like you – that's just not how it works. He definitely was trying to make some adjustment or do something that he thought would win the game. Now, whatever he thought would help win the series or could help them get over that hump didn't work. So obviously, yes, he, he got out coached. That's, that's a fact. Yeah, that's not some crazy assertion. Yeah, and then you also have Pat Riley leaves the Knicks for the Heat um, in 95, right in, towards the tail end, but you know, still in the heart of Charles Oakley's career in New York. And that was kind of a which could factor in exactly that was kind of a sleazy deal as well where they actually play the heat in the 95 playoffs and then uh riley leaves the Knicks for them uh and he already knew that he was going to do that while they were playing them so there's there's a lot of juice in here and uh, it's all being rehashed right now as as all we can talk about is the last dance so everyone's getting in their feelings yeah i mean i take back a little bit what i said about not saying that about your coach because because of what pat riley did Right. He doesn't have as much of that loyalty. Right. But, yeah, so I don't necessarily think it was totally necessary, but I could see the, a little bit of salt peering through there. But, you know, it's all in the past. But next up, all we have to do is look back at the past because there's not much going on in the present. So we're going to take a little look back down memory lane to some things that could have been and were. First up on our trip down memory lane, Matt Harvey, in his lone all-star game in 2013, hits Robinson Cano when Cano is in his last year with the Yankees. A, a, a rare moment in an all-star game. You usually see a lot of people getting hit. Yeah, in general, I just wanted to bring this up because it's funny that someone got hit in an all-star game. Uh, Harvey said Yachty was setting up inside, and Harvey knew he really had to get in there on Cano and absolutely nailed him. Nailed him right in the back of the knee. Cano had to leave the game. Uh, like x-rays and everything afterwards and I mean like a great piece of trivia for everyone out there is the last time a Yankee or a Met hit someone from the opposing team in an all-star game it's not Harvey and Robinson Cano and just it's so funny looking back at it now 
in Harvey's only all-star appearance. He gets Tommy John shortly after that. Um, comes back as the Dark Knight in 2015 and is phenomenal. Almost throws a shutout in game five of the 2015 World Series. Doesn't. They obviously lose the game um, in extras. And uh, then he's traded to the Reds in like 2017 or 2018. I think 2018. Um, and kind of flails out on the Angels. Whereas Cano goes to the Seattle Mariners, just about as far as you can get from New York, which he was my favorite player growing up. I could not believe it. I, I thought Cano was going to be a Yankee for life. Um, as I sit right here, <clears throat> I'm looking at a Robinson Cano autograph picture in my uh, childhood bedroom. I, and I've got like more Cano memory, memorabilia probably than anyone else. I was so shocked when he went and signed that 10-year deal in Seattle. And now, of course, he's back in Queens. Uh, as the second baseman for the Mets. So it's just, there's so many weird connections and stuff. I thought it was a funny thing worth bringing, bringing back up. Cano had a sweet, sweet swing. Beautiful. When we talk about sweet swings, I mean, right there with Griffey. Not as legendary, but maybe even more effortless. Yeah. Yeah, I, I loved Cano. It's just, he's just a smooth baseball yeah. player. and he raked. He raked. He loved the short porch. He was such a fun guy to watch playing defense as well. It's not as fun nowadays, I think, because he doesn't quite have the range and the arm that he used to. So he still is lackadaisical, but it hurts him more. Um, So tough that the Yankees get most, like basically the prime of his career and the Mets get, uh, they still have to pay him like $96 million for four more years. Sneaky Um, home run derby winner. Yeah. Definitely. I, I, I was so happy. I think that was in Arizona. It was I remember Papa watching Bear, that. Papa Bear pitching to him. Yeah, that was cool. That was probably more – just purely as a Yankee fan, obviously I'm biased in that. Like it probably goes – my number one one was the one where Judge just went absolute banana land and Gary Sanchez beat Giancarlo in the first round. Yeah, in Miami, the hometown in, kid. Yeah. In Miami. That was banana land. I like that a lot. And then the uh, – the 08 one was sick with Josh Hamilton's first round performance, even though he lost in the end of Justin Morneau. Right. Which that, you know, that setup just screwed him because he just launched moonshots and got it really tired. Yeah. Even though he, he hit like 18 more home runs than he needed to in the first round, but it was just the craziest thing I've ever seen. Be that as it may, those, those were like the three best. And yeah, Robinson Cano is a great player for the Yankees. It's, it's just kind of a fun memory. Yeah. And yeah, and you always wonder kind of who knows really what, who could have paid who and what would have worked out. But another thing that you wonder what could have been is what I guess the artist formerly known as Lou Alcindor yeah, you could say could, that. could have done, aka Kareem Abdul-Jabbar recently said that he probably would have gone to St. John's if St. John's hadn't forced their coach, Joe Lapchick, to retire. He probably would have gone to St. John's. Instead, they replaced him with Louis Carnesecca, which, you know, there's Carnesecca Arena. Carnesecca right, right. Pretty dirty. <laughs> like, it, it's kind of an interesting trade-off where you to ask a, a St. John's. I mean, then no team would have – I'm about to do a double negative, but every team would have won with Luel Cinder. Yes. He was that dirty. In his three years of college basketball, and reminder, freshman couldn't play when Luel Cinder was a freshman, so – it was just sophomore, junior, senior. He was the most outstanding player in the NCAA tournament each of the three years. They won the NCAA title in each of the three years, his three years with the Bruins. 
he was that good. And he was the first ever Naismith player of the year in 1969 in his senior season. So that type of guy probably would have won some titles for St. John's, plain and simple. A team that doesn't have any titles, as I constantly remind my girlfriend when she tries to tell me St. John's is New York's team and Syracuse is not. Uh, If Kareem Abdul-Jabbar goes to St. John's, I say St. John's is New York's team at this point in time. I mean, so much is probably different. Obviously, they might not play in Karnaseka Arena. Maybe that does happen a little later on. Um, Yeah, that's one thing Kareem said is he just didn't know Karnaseka. And and when Lou heard that, he said, well, I would have loved to have gotten to know him. <laughs> uh, and, and Lou said he knew that wherever Kareem went, it was going to, you know, but you have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you're at worst a, a championship contender. He also said it was going to make whatever coach uh, got him look really smart. John Wooden, I mean, there's a reason why it's the Wooden Award in NCAA basketball. Um, yeah, I mean, just an, an amazing what if. I read that, uh, like, the the most popular college basketball writer at the time he had he had pretty whatever in quotes accurate odds usually for where teams are going to go he or where players are going to go team wise he had St. John's at six to five on the odds and he had UCLA at three to one so you know it was it was kind of close um and and also so interesting for Kareem who was by far in his high school days the most popular player in New York City the Knicks sucked. St. John's wasn't very good. They did win the NIT, which was much bigger and, uh, back in those days. The year before he, he would have come, instead the, the year before he went to U- UCLA. Um, but he was by far the most popular player in New York City. So he's walking around New York City with everyone asking him, you know, are you going to go to St. John's? Are you going to go to St. John's? You know, he wasn't going to go to Fordham or NYU probably. And he said that as soon as it turned out uh, – Lapchick was was going to be out he knew he was going to go to UCLA with John Wooden so he was walking around the streets telling people oh, I don't know I don't know but he knew the whole time a New yeah. York City born and raised guy winds up becoming an LA icon between UCLA and then career just works out where he winds up in LA again with the Lakers to have some Five NBA championships yeah. yeah funny how that works out definitely and, definitely yeah and the NIT was definitely bigger than just the tournament was smaller but Nothing could be as big as our bracket of what movies you need to watch in the sports world during the quarantine time. Coming down to it, we have the best of every single category, which is kind of a tournament within itself. Um, The greatest basketball movie of all time, according to Empire State of Sports tweeters, Space Jam edges out semi-pro by one vote, 52%. They take out the 11 seed semi-pro who, who at the beginning, I'm going to pat my breath, my back here. I said semi-pro is a dangerous 11 seed, probably the dangerous uh, double digit seed in the bracket. And they were two votes away from knocking off Mike in what ended up being the, the most loved basketball movie of all time, Space Jam. They lived up to the hype on that one. On the other side for baseball going up against basketball here, they'll be matching up in the final four. It's the Sandlot beating out Major League, Sandlot being the five seed in this region. You know, a couple big upsets here. Field of Dreams is a lot of very iconic movie, but instead, people going with the nostalgia, the summertime love, going with the Sandlot. So it'll be the Sandlot versus Space Jam for the right to go to the title game on that side. Meanwhile, on the other side, we got 
uh, the football bracket chalk over here, one versus two, but the chalk, chalk no more. The two seed takes out the one seed. Remember the Titans over Rudy. This is something we predicted, uh, 57% over 43%. Uh, Rudy was off sides. We said it was probably going to hurt, and it did. It, 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 it might have been the down the stretch. The end. Yeah, yeah, it might have been the stretch. Big the time, Rudy being off sides, I think, really was the deciding factor. You know, it's yeah. I mean, the Patriots don't win the Super Bowl in the it was it was the calendar year at this point of 2019 if D Ford isn't off sides. So should should Rudy just be forgiven for being offsides himself? I mean, D Ford never played in Kansas City again after that, you know? Like, look, I get the argument. Sure, it can be made that it wasn't called. Sure, I get it. Yep, I get it. But, you know, they didn't have replay. They couldn't look at the tape. And, you know, looking at the tape, he, he was offsides. On the other side, going up against, remember, the Titans, we had another one-versus-two matchup. This one also came down to one vote. Miracle takes out Rocky. It'll be Miracle versus Remember the Titans. So our final four, Miracle versus Remember the Titans. And on the other side, Sandlot versus Space Jam. Who are you looking for in the finals here, Biko? Um, I like Sandlot to take out Space Jam. Mike is all the rage right now with the last dance going on. But our, our audience has loved Sandlot. And I think part of that is, like you said, the nostalgia, our, our age audience. I mean, I think Sandlot and Space Jam are kind of similar. Sandlot might be a little newer in years-wise. I'm not sure on that. Um, but I like Sandlot, and I like Miracle to take out Remember the Titans. Uh, Miracle's been a wagon this whole time. I thought Rocky was going to be able to handle it. It was not. I think I think Remember the Titans has, you know, they benefited off the offside, off the no offsides call on Rudy. There's nothing they can, there's nothing they can pick apart here with Miracle on ice. Fun fact, Space Jam actually newer than the Sandlot. Sandlot 1993, Space Jam 1996. I would have thought it was the other way around also. Right. But I, I'm also, I'm also going to agree with you on this. I, I'm going to go Sandlot and I'm going to go with Miracle as well. I, I think those are the, those are the two that we'll see in the finals. I think it's the USA pride in general mm-hmm. that will bring, bring Miracle on because mm-hmm. remember the Titans brings us together. Right. And it, it has a lot to do with, you know, easing the racial divide and everything. But USA is bringing the whole thing, the whole country together. And remember, the Titans is more like, it's a specific area thing, you know? Definitely. Awesome movie. Don't get me wrong. You know, you don't get Final Four here without being an elite movie. You don't. Especially in this bracket. You know, we we separate and we get the cream of the crop. That's what the Empire State of Sports does. Be that as it may. Yeah. We know who's going to be in the finals. And obviously, there's been all kinds of genre of sports movie in this, from as funny as you can get to as serious as you can get. Kind of interesting that we've got two pretty serious, basically, you know, nonfiction-esque movies on one side, and then we've got The Sandlot and Space Jam on the other side. It's, it's kind of nice. We've got the, the fiction against the nonfiction uh, in what will be an incredibly exciting championship. So the, the movies really match up well against each other. I think it's going to be a fair fight for all four teams. I'm very excited to see what the people have to say. Very excited to see what our audience has for us. And hopefully our audience will continue to rate, review, and subscribe. Five stars exclusively. Anything less than that, I, we probably think that you hate us. And we're, we're very self-conscious people and very easily offended. So any of that will, will really hurt our feelings and we'll take it to heart. Yeah, especially in these troubled times where, you know, I can't get out, in the, get out of the house and get compliments from the world every day. Uh, as, as I do when, you know, when there isn't a quarantine, I just like going out to the grocery store and, and getting complimented wherever I can go. Um, 
we could really use those right now and and being isolated on the farm i'm not i'm not equipped to handle uh some serious criticism here i'll take a four star but please let's keep it four or five yeah and mainly with the fives and also don't be afraid come in come on contribute to the polls vote on our twitter polls for the empire state of sports at state of sports ny follow me on twitter at jackson Agello. hey you can follow me on twitter at bico rico suave and you can catch us at state of sports ny that'll do it for this week's episode we'll catch you guys next week with another elite episode oh uh, i'll tell you what at the start you said this was going to be perfect quite happy with what we did here jackson quite happy with what we did gotta say Pretty stellar project, I would say. We, we lived up to Cy Young's hype. I think somewhere up there, he, he's proud. Hey, thanks, Cy. See you later.